um, and the opportunity we had to minister to them. Uh, the the overwhelming and anonymous, and anonymous unanimous um, response was yes, let's help them out. In fact, we had uh, several people that suggested um, going above and beyond what we were what we were doing. But we're going to start with just one uh, step. And so I know that Eric works with them. You'd mentioned you might be willing to just lead us in a time of prayer over um, share a little bit. I mean, I don't know if you want to share a little bit, and then we'll pray together. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be a part of Southern New Hampshire Rescue Mission in the way that we are, uh, Lord, for the burden you placed on Eric's heart and the hearts of the volunteers that work there. And Lord, not just in a difficult time, but even uh, well before that. And Lord, we we do pray for the workers, uh, keep them safe, the, the residents and, and those that they minister to, uh, keep them safe, secure. Lord, bring healing where healing is needed, strength where strength is needed. Uh, encouragement where encouragement is needed. And, uh, and thank you again for your blessing upon this congregation to be able to be a blessing to others. And we thank you uh, for being our most um, extraordinary God. Amen. Uh, other than that, pretty much everything is going. Uh, we, don't have, um, we don't have our Bible studies run until January. I think that's pretty much in terms of announcement things that are going on. Um, and uh, so why don't we why don't we go ahead and get into the scriptures this morning, and we're going to start a new series. So um, I I wanted to I wanted to do something different for Advent. I know that I say that every year. Um, by the way, the the whole the whole hymn book thing, I, the print got smaller. Oh, what the deal is? It's been so long since I led from a hymn book. I usually have like an eight and a half by eleven sheet of the of the music, and man, that print is tiny. Um, apparently, when you get older, you get taller, or your arms get longer, or something. I don't know. Anyway, um, but we uh, we're, we we want to start a series in Christmas, and and I and I I was trying to think about what to do as we are as we're commemorating Advent and and going, and we kind of have a shortened season this year. Um, just because of where Thanksgiving fell and and how the the whole calendar is working, and so um, I thought I was thinking about 
what what should we what should we do? And and it occurred to me that one of the one of the things we very rarely do when when it comes to uh, looking at Christmas and is is looking at the Old Testament and how uh, Christ's coming is prefigured in the Old Testament, and in particular. Um, the, the pairings of mothers and children uh, in the Old Testament, which uh, the gospel writers looked at and said, um, this, is, this, is, uh, this, is, this is important, this is significant. We want to look at this. And there are all these echoes. One of the things that happens in ancient literature, and it happens in modern literature too, um, is that when you are a part of a, a literary tradition... Um, you tend to frame your, your whatever story you're telling uh, using uh, concepts or ideas from stories that you grew up in. Now we all do this. This is this is just human nature. You tell stories the way stories were told to you, um, and and so and I mean we all discover this at some point as we're as we're especially as we're into adulthood and into parenthood. We realize that we start telling our children stories about our childhood the way our parents told stories about their childhood. Um, this is just it's just human nature. So through the course of the Old Testament, which of course covers uh, thousands of years of history, um, there are there are stories that um, echo back to one another and kind of reverberate. And then when we get to Jesus and we get to uh, his birth and Christmas and all that stuff, all of those things kind of come, uh, they kind of come to a, a, a culmination with him. Uh, the Apostle Paul said that he calls it when the fullness of time had come. Uh, Jesus brought forth his son, born of a woman. Um, and and, and this, this kind of idea of uh, all of this leading to him. So I thought what we'd do over the next few weeks is to look at a couple of mothers and children. I've got seven that I'm going to look at. So we're going to look at a couple today, a couple next week, a couple the week after. Um, and how their story sets up for the coming of Christ, sets up for the incarnation of Jesus. Um, and so the process of this, this is not like a, a super uh, involved theological study, but rather I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask some questions. We're going to read uh, some stuff, and, and, and then we want to just kind of consider how this prefigures Christ. So let's, let's get into that. And let's start, our first one is going to be in Genesis chapter 4. If you're familiar with Genesis, you know it's the story of Adam and Eve, and um, and they 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 sin and they fall and they're thrown out of the Garden of Eden. And in Genesis chapter four and verse one, we read that Adam knew his wife and she conceived and bore Cain. Um, and then in verse two, and again she bore his brother Abel. And there's the whole narrative in most of chapter four of Cain uh, Cain murdering Abel. Um, and and I've, we've talked about that several times. I don't want to get into it. Um, but then we have a situation where Cain is actually cast out of the presence of the Lord. And much of, uh, from verse 17 to verse 24, is, is Cain's line. It's kind of all the people descended from Cain. But in verse 25, chapter 4 and verse 25, Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. Now, the word Seth, the name Seth, 
uh, sounds like the Hebrew word uh, seeth, which means to appoint the verb. And so that's what that statement there when it says, for he has appointed. Uh, Hebrew, uh, Hebrew writers love wordplay. They love to take a word and show a word that sounds like that word. And, and, uh, and so, so um, we don't know exactly what seth means, um, but uh, the writer of Genesis, as they were putting together, said this is an appointment of God. And so we, we assume that, that it means uh, something like the verb uh, to appoint. But I want to I look at this. I want to ask you a couple of questions. And here's my, here's my first question. Cain killed Abel. And then Eve had to, Eve and Adam and Eve have a third son, Seth. So the question I want to ask you is, did Cain killing Abel frustrate the purposes of God? Now, the reason we ask this question, and the reason I ask this question, is that um, so often we tend to read God's salvation as if it is plan B. That God intended to do something, we blew it up, and then God had to come up with a, a, a fix for our solution, for our problem. And so... The, the question, did Cain's killing Abel frustrate God's purposes? Because that tells you a lot about how you perceive God's relationship to the events of history. Um, if your initial response was, well, you know, God had to you know, get something to work out, then you're assuming that we have the ability to stop God from doing stuff. Um, and, and it kind of puts a limiter on God. And as, 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 as cold as it might sound initially, the idea that God knew that Cain would kill Abel and in his purposes and in his will had already uh, set up the process that would bring about Seth. And Seth is ultimately the ancestor of Noah, who is ultimately the ancestor of Abraham, who is ultimately the ancestor of David, who is ultimately the ancestor of Jesus. So, so there's, a, there's a lot of history going on here. But we, we can read the Bible assuming that w- mankind messes up and then God has to kind of step in and fix the problem. Or we can, we can read the scriptures with the understanding that as God knows what is going on and has always provided for his salvation for us, always provided to fulfill his covenant obligation, responsibility, uh, hesed, loving kindness toward us. When Eve says in chapter, chapter 4, she says, God, or rather, God has appointed for me another offspring. All right. The word there is seed. It is the word that appears in chapter 3 and verse 15. Um, when God is cursing the serpent who, who had tempted Eve and she, and she had sinned, God says, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I have put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring, or seed, and her offspring, or seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. That passage speaks to the relationship of, of man and, um, 
ultimately Jesus, but man and sin, temptation and wickedness, that God appointed, he, he appoints the offspring of, of man, the offspring of, of Eve or Adam, Adam and Eve, to constantly be in conflict with evil in this world. And ultimately, through Christ, to see victory over sin. If God had planned that to happen through Abel, and then suddenly was stuck, well, that's kind of a small God. But if God, knowing what was going to happen in his infinite way, knew and planned and purposed that despite the wickedness of man, despite the fact that Cain would kill Abel, his covenant would continue. There would continue to be an offspring, a seed. Well, that's, that's a, a much bigger God. And we cannot think of uh, God's salvation as God's backup plan. Now, I'm going to tell this story wrong, I'm sure, and Tom will correct me later. But uh, if you're a baseball fan, particularly if you're a Red Sox fan, you don't want to hear this story. But in the 2003 uh, American League Championship went to seven games. They were playing against the Yankees. Um, and if you were watching that game, uh, you know, you're a Yankees fan like Donald and Nancy, um, who aren't here for this one story I tell from the Yankees' point of view? Um, if you were if you were there if you were a Yankees fan, you were pretty upset at the beginning of that game because the Red Sox went up five to zero. Um, and then um, Pedro Martinez stayed in probably one inning too long, and the Yankees pulled it even five to five in the bottom of the not, bottom of the eighth, right? Bottom of the eighth inning. Um, and it was a tie. Now, you know that baseball really has no end if it's a tie. They just keep playing for years and years and years and years. Um, so, but the, uh, the, the Yankees had a plan and a weapon all along. Um, Mariano Rivera is considered by many, not Red Sox fans, but many, the greatest closing pitcher of all time. And he was the Yankees' closing pitcher that day. So when Rivera took the mound in the ninth inning, he pitched uh, three innings and allowed only two hits, uh, a, a, a double and a single, and held off long enough for the Yankees to get the winning runs. On a home run, I believe, right? Aaron Boone. See, when you have Mariano Rivera, the closer is not a plan B. He's part of the main plan. The entire plan is he closes that game and you win. You don't sit there and go, I wonder if there's anybody in the stands who could close this game. 
You don't bring somebody up from the minors in the in the American League. Uh, I don't even know if you can. Probably because baseball has no actual rules. They're like. They're all over. You don't bring somebody up from the minors and say, "Look, could you do this?" You you don't call in. You don't you don't try to make a last minute uh, trade uh, for a closer, hoping that he's going to be able to do it. When you have one of the greatest closers of all time who had a postseason ERA of 0.7, which is absurd. All right, um, 42 saves, 141 in- innings pitched. Don't ask me to repeat that after I'm done preaching. That is literally the only baseball statistic I know um, for now. And, uh, um, but when you are that great of a reliever, you're part of the plan the whole time. And see, God's, God's salvation for us, his, his clothes is not plan B. God was never scrambling to get things right after we messed everything up. God is sovereign. Now, for some people, that makes God, they sit there and go, well, doesn't that make kind of God cold? I mean, he lets bad things happen. Let me ask you a question. Would you really rather a God who was ignorant of what you were doing? Would you rather that God be always reacting? Do you want a supreme being who reacts rather than acts, who is always on the, the defensive, always trying to come up with alternative plans. That, that's how the Greek gods worked. I mean, and so you were constantly trying to figure out what the gods felt like doing that day. Our God, if he is truly sovereign, there is no plan B, there is only the plan. And he does not save us because, oh, they got in trouble again, but rather because of who he is. And Seth was integral to God's plan. As horrible as Abel's murder was, Seth was integral to God's plan. And it was not a substitute as much as Seth was the substance of God's plan, that God was at work. I want to fast forward a little bit to get to our second one. And this, these are kind of mini sermons. Um, so, you know, you can turn the channel and come back after the commercial. Um, but I want to get to, the, to a second one. So, so Eve and Seth, they're kind of the first ones. And, and they prefigure this idea that God has a plan. There's always been a plan. When Jesus comes, it's not, it's not the backup plan. This isn't plan B. It's not that the law failed and so God has to try something else. It's, it's God is always at work. But then in Genesis chapter 21, uh, we encounter the birth of a, a, a second mother and son pair, uh, Sarah and Isaac. Um, and Genesis chapter 21, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. Now, now Sarah is a postmenopausal woman. She cannot have children. She actually says this. The way of the women is past me. She knows she can't have kids. Um, she is way older than any mother that we have on record in, in modern history. But the Lord visited her, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom I, Sarah bore him, Isaac. Now, if you know the story, you know that when, God, when the angel of the Lord told Sarah that she was going to have a baby, she laughed 
The Hebrew word for laughter is Isaac, all right, or Isaac. So he gets that name. Again, this, this Hebrew, Hebrew loves wordplay. It's easy when your entire language is composed of words that only have three letters. You can get a lot of wordplay going. Um, but Abraham circumcised him, verse 4, his son Isaac, when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter, Isaac, Itzhak, for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse a child? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. God promised to Abraham when he was much younger that he would have a son. And that son would carry on uh, God's mission with Abraham. And Abraham was so frustrated with this that at various points in his life, he tried to come up with other ways that God could carry on his covenant. At one point, he appoints his servant as his successor. And God says to him, no, Abraham, you're going to have a son. Then Abraham looked at his wife and went, well, she's done. Um, and so he went and found another woman and had a son with him. And God said to him, no, not had a son with her. And God said, no, you're going to have a son with... the." This Abraham is one of these moments, I don't want to get into this, where God has to keep getting more specific. God is like, you're going to have a successor, everything will be great. Abraham's like, this servant? No, you're going to have a son. With this woman? No, with your wife. You will have a son with your wife, Abraham. Abraham, at 99 years old, finally gets it. So, you know, don't worry if you don't get it the first time around. Um, but but uh, Sarah has this baby. This had to have been a surprise. I'm sure that at 100 years old, Abraham really appreciated waking up in the middle of the night to change diapers. I, I imagine that that was a great opportunity um, for him to uh, learn mercy and compassion. But in the decades between the time that God promised this child, I mean, Abraham and Sarah even go through a name change. He's originally Abram, she's Sarai. Um, and the, between, in the decades between this, there was a decade of interminable delay. I mean, think about, think about right now, all of us at this point have had somebody who's had a COVID test. And they tell you it's going to be five to seven days. Right? They, they, well, it'll be five to seven days before you get results. And right now, where we are doing, uh, you know, having a million positive cases every five days, right? A million positive tests every five days, every work week right now. Um, doesn't that sound like forever? All right? I mean, think about what can happen in that amount of time. Um, now, now, of course, we're, we're instant gratification people now. I think I've told this story. You guys all know that you all know um, in your own lives. Uh, today, we get upset if Amazon Prime is like arrives at night the next day. Right? We're like, oh, I need this in the afternoon, and it's not going to come until 6. What am I going to do? Um, but I remember ordering a boomerang from Cheerios using proofs of purchase. You know, you would, cut out, you would cut out the little proof of purchase on the box, and you would get together, like, I don't remember, it was some extraordinary, like, 45 proofs of purpose. I, I was eating boxes of Cheerios per meal so I could have enough of these. And uh, you get the proofs of purchase, and then it was, like, you know, $19.99 in shipping and handling, which was really the price of the boomerang. And then, and then it was like, it was like uh, your product may arrive in six to eight weeks, right? I mean, you guys, you guys remember this? You know, it was like you mailed it away, and it, it took so long, you forgot. You forgot that you had ordered it. So when the box arrived, it was a surprise. It was like, oh, look at that. Um, you know, 
Well, we, we all know, I mean, if you're eagerly anticipating something, if you want to know the answer, that COVID test, that, that, that package is supposed to be coming, we want to know now. Well, imagine going through decades and all of the failures, all right? And, and one has to assume that there, there was all kinds of complications that went on in, in this, this situation. Um, you know, and, and Abraham, Abraham find, is with this other woman and they have a child and then it, Sarah gets mad about it. There's, there's all of these interpersonal complicated things that are happening. There is this interminable delay between the promise and the fulfillment and it was full of disappointment and failure. And if we look at history, if we look at the Old Testament, what do we see? We see all of these promises of God taking care of the people of Israel. We, we see a promise to Abraham and then to Isaac and then to Jacob that God would walk with them. And then they go into slavery in Egypt for centuries. And people are sitting there there so long they seem to forget the name of their God. Is it ever going to come? Is there ever going to be a solution? Is there ever going to be an answer? Um, I think particularly, and we're going to get to this one in a couple of weeks, but I think of, of, of David. Um, and when he sins, in, in the book of 2 Samuel, he sins. He, he, um, he, he sees a, a young, young woman bathing. Um, he takes her for himself. And then he has uh, the woman's husband murdered to cover his sin because he's, she's pregnant. And then the child is born, but the child is going to die. The child, something, something. they don't really talk about it, but the, the child is born, obviously going to die. And for days, David doesn't eat, doesn't drink. He just, he, he's overwrought, and he's waiting, and he's waiting, and he's waiting to see whether God is going to take care of him or not, whether God is going to spare this child. And of course, at the end, the child dies. And, and for David, it must have been this interminable wait. I mean, I, I can't even imagine. I mean, when Ariel was born, she was in the, in the NICU for several days. We didn't get to see her until the day after. I, I got to see her. I think Nicole had to wait three days? One day? I can't remember. I was sleeping on a chair that no one told me folded out into a bed. And the, the nurses, I think, didn't like me, and so they didn't tell me there were sheets in the nightstand. Um, I was freezing. Anyway, um, so it seemed like three years. But, but Ariel was born, and then I was able to go see her in the NICU, but Nicole couldn't, and we, had a, we, were, we were in the hospital for a week, and it just seemed like it was forever. It was interminable. And I can't imagine what it was like, what it'd be like for somebody to go through that and then to lose their child. And then uh, David, he, he, once the child is dead, he stands up, he washes himself off. He goes back, he honors his marriage union with this woman, um, Bathsheba, and they have another son, and their son is Solomon, who's the uh, one of the greatest kings of Israel's history. We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. But the time between the time between a promise, because God had promised David that his son would sit on the throne forever. He would have a son that would sit on the throne forever, um, and he was talking about Jesus. The time between the promise and the fulfillment, it can sometimes be awful. It can just drag on forever. And it, it's just full of all of these, these difficult moments, these long journeys. My dad uh, is, is, um, tends to say things like, um, uh, he's, he tends to th- say things like, God, God made heaven sweeter by taking away all my friends on earth. 
um, you know, as he gets older, and, he look, and when, when will this come, and when will this happen? You know, we, 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 we sit and we wait for God, and we're, we're wondering whether God is ever going to take care of things, whether, whether God is ever going to take us the other way. The Apostle Paul talked about his struggles, um, and whether, whether, which was better to be with the Lord, or to stay and minister, and sometimes the distance, the, 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 the time, the delay between the promise and the fulfillment is just so long. It's just so hard. It's just so difficult. And imagine what it was like for Sarah to go through that. And imagine what it was like for her. And the irony of hearing that baby laugh when she had laughed at God's purposes. And now she had this child, this this little boy who was the heir to everything. And the question I want to ask you on this one, and something for you to think about, is why does God delay? Why does a God who is infinite, a God who is omniscient, a God who is uh, uh, all-knowing, why does a God make us wait? Why does he give us a promise and from our point of view not give us the fulfillment? Why does he uh, take us from our sin and bring us into new life and we come to faith and become Christians and, and, and we embrace this and yet we still have to go through this whole life thing. We still have to deal with sin. Why doesn't God zap us and make us sinless? I think, you know, why, why, doesn't, why, doesn't, God, why doesn't God demonstrate his presence so that all the atheists will shut up? Why didn't God put a like a clock or something in creation so we could stop debating over days and billions of years? Why doesn't God make it impossible to take an innocent life? Why does God promise things but then he delays on the fulfillment? That's a question we need to ask ourselves. It's it's part of the theodicy. Um, which is the, the theological term for the struggle of why do bad things happen? Why does God allow bad things to happen? Why does, um, and and why, 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 when he promised to Abraham to have a son, does he wait so long to give him and Sarah Isaac? Wouldn't it have fixed a lot of problems if he had just done it right away? Why does God do that? And if I could give you one answer, and it's not the only answer, but if I could give it one answer, it, it, it would be, uh, a partial answer would be this. We need hope. The human soul thrives on hope. And if God just did things, if we never faced difficulty, if we never dealt with delay, 
If we, if we were instantly gratified with every single thing that happened, we would never have yearning. We would never have hope. We would never have joy at what God provides when he provides it. And if I could give you another thing, it is that we need to learn what it means to be without so we know what it means to receive. We need to know what it's like to wait and long and yearn for God to provide. Because without that, we start to think that we're in charge. God says he does something for me. He does it for me immediately. Who's in charge in that scenario? And we may not like the way that God runs things. We may not like the delays that he uh, has built into his purpose and his plan. We may not like the idea. I mean, wouldn't it be great if every time we took communion, God just zapped us with a new, fresh spread of sinlessness to get through the week and all we had to do was take our inoculation against sin and everything would be great but would we hope would we yearn would we love would we really understand what it meant to follow God the initial promise to Adam and Eve in Genesis 3 to Jesus is thousands of years. The life of Christ to today is getting close to thousands of years. And really, after we get over a thousand, does it really, do we really need to distinguish that it's a long time? Why are we still waiting for God to fulfill? And I guess an auxiliary question to that would be, why are we so worried about God doing it on our time frame? Abraham and Sarah fumbled their way forward to Isaac. They wandered through the delay. They waited, they tried, they thought, sought to fix it. But when God's time was ready, God did what God was going to do. It doesn't mean that we don't look for God to provide for us. It just means that we don't get tired of looking for God's provision. Later on, the writer of the, God, of the book of Hebrews would say that Abraham looked for a city whose builder and foundation was God. That every step that Abraham took as he was going through his life, he just kept walking. He failed, but he kept walking. He succeeded, but he kept walking. He had a dumb nephew that he had to go avenge from the Babylonian rescue from the Babylonians, who then wound up hanging out in Sodom and Gomorrah. But Abraham just kept stepping forward. He made mistakes, but he stepped forward. When he gets Isaac, he is far from done making mistakes. God challenges him. To, to sacrifice his son. And as hard as that was, he just keeps moving forward. Abraham would have never done that if God just did this for him. 
He would never have been called the father of faith if he didn't have to be faithful in something that he wasn't receiving. But eventually, God fulfills his promise. God has never made a promise. So if there are two big points, first one is God has never had a purpose that has not been fulfilled. And the second one, God has never made a promise that he hasn't kept. Just because we look in our circumstances and say he hasn't done it doesn't mean he isn't doing it. So would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, as we once again try to live in your purposes, try to draw strength and encouragement from what you are doing, Lord, as we look back at Advent and we look even further back at these models of, of Christ's coming and we consider um, all of this, Lord, help us to be confident of your promises even in our failures. Help us to be strengthened in your purpose even when we don't understand how we're going to get from where we are to where you need us to be, where you're going to take us to be, I should say. Lord, living in a creation that groans and, and under the weight of sin, struggling to step forward every day and take one more step, Lord, help us to be reminded that your purposes and your promises are eternal. To draw encouragement when we are discouraged from who you are. To celebrate when we see the fulfillment of your great love and promises in our lives. And always to move forward until we take one last step here and step into your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go in peace, my brothers and sisters, and may your snowplow sheer pins not break.